Lord, we love you so much. We can stand here and we say we love you. We want it to be so much more than just something that happens in a beautiful moment. But we want it to be happening when we are walking through that desert. And Lord, we, uh, we need your spirit. And give us a passion for your word, for prayer, for just a love for you and a relationship with you this week. Amen. I am reading uh, Tolkien's The Hobbit to Rebecca currently. Um, and about half, I'm sorry if this is a spoiler, but about halfway through that book, Bilbo and the dwarves are walking through the dark and dangerous forest of Mirkwood. They are frustrated, hungry, they feel lost, and they're afraid. And they're discouraged because they've been in there a long time and haven't found their way out yet. But they make a critical mistake. They do what they were warned repeatedly over and over and over again not to do. They left the path through the forest. In the distance, seeing some lights... They thought, well, we're going to starve anyway. Let's go see what that's about. And they wandered off the path, chasing lights and what they thought was going to be sustenance for them. What ended up happening where they were, this is where I give things away, they were attacked by giant spiders and hung up to eat. They didn't follow wise counsel. And for the last 11 weeks, we have been looking at James, and he's been giving us wise counsel. In fact, almost commanding wise counsel, as we talked about at the beginning. Um, there are more imperatives, more commands per verse in the book of James than any other book in the Bible. Out of the 104 verses or so, there's over 50 direct commands. Do this, don't do that. And so it's fitting at the end that he doesn't stop there. In our last little look at James this morning, um, he continues with not only encouragement, but exhortation. A challenge to continue to not leave the path, so to speak. So if you would turn with me to James chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 13 this morning. James chapter 5, verse 13. And we'll read to the end of the book. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Would you pray with me, please?
Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would teach us. We invite your spirit to speak to our hearts and our minds and ultimately our wills that we would not only hear your word but be doers of your word as well. I thank you for the truth that is in it. And we ask that you would uh, take us from this place this morning changed. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. James ends his book in a very similar fashion to the way he began. He is talking about um, in the beginning, he talked about trials and the fact that when we are in the midst of trials and we need wisdom, we need to pray. We need to look to God in the midst of those things, and he ends the same way. In verse 13, um, he tells us to look to God. He says, is anyone suffering? Uh, that word suffering really um, means to persevere through difficult times. It's someone who is strenuously keeping on, strenuously persevering is what that word means. Um, and if that's where you are, you know, maybe it's just one of those weeks or months or years where it's just one thing after another and you're just, the water's about to here. <laughs> and you're just, one more step, strenuously persevering. Maybe it's a relationship that continues to wear on you. Maybe it's a, an illness that continues to ravage. Maybe it's just life. I need, uh, with kids, raising kids and being a, a husband, maybe you just, I need to persevere. I need to put one foot in front of the other. And James says, if that's where you are, I've got a solution for you. Pray. Look to God. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to the self-help books. Don't look around at the culture and say, how do I do this? Same way he began, he ends. Pray. Look to God. And then in the end of 13, he says, is anyone cheerful? That word really, I don't know that cheerful is quite the right term there. That word means to, uh, to be encouraged, uh, to be lifted up. It's the same word that Paul used when they were on the ship in the midst of the storm in the end of Acts. And God had appeared to him and said, no one's going to die. And he comes out and says, hey guys, be encouraged. God spoke to me last night. We're all going to make it safe. Be encouraged. Eat some food. Get some strength. Come on, it's going to be all right. And James says, if anyone's in that position, in the storms of life, you find courage. Look to God. Praise Him. Involve Him in your life. And what James has done is what he did back in chapter 2 when he contrasted Abraham and Rahab. Um, a very common figure of speech was to take two extremes, put them side by side, and what that means is everything in between. Regardless of where you are in life, the water's up to here, or maybe you're just walking on water. Wherever you are, James says, look to God. He is the one that needs to be the first place you turn. As you go through life, is turning to God your default response regardless of your circumstances? James would say it should be. Your default response to any circumstance in life, good or bad, anything in between, is 
turn to our Heavenly Father, a look to Him in prayer for wisdom, a cry of help, maybe even a cry of frustration or praise, thanksgiving. Is that your default response? You turn to God. Sometimes, however, life has beat us up so much that it almost feels like our prayers, if we're even able to voice them, are bouncing off the ceiling. And so James says, well, it's possible that, that life has overwhelmed you. And so the second thing he asks us to do is to look to our leaders. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Now, what's interesting about this verse is all the words that pertain to sickness in here um, can also, and about half the time in the New Testament they do, refer to not a physical illness, but a spiritual problem, or physical weariness. Someone is just worn out. Now, I'm not denying at all, um, I think the, the translation is fairly accurate here, I'm not denying that if you were in that position that you are sick, that an option is for you to call the elders of the church for them to come pray. But I don't think we can limit what James is saying to that. When you are flat on your back, physically or spiritually, sometimes we need someone else to come alongside us and pray for us, to encourage us. And so he says, call the elders of the church. Call the people who, in leadership where you are, and have them come alongside you, anoint you with oil, and pray for you. Now, what's the oil business? Is that motor oil? What, is, what are we talking about? We need, we need to change? No. Uh, there's a difference of opinion. Some people think it's medicinal, that it's actually meant as a healing agent. For example, the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the Samaritan comes upon the guy who's been robbed and beat up, and he takes oil out and puts it on his wounds. It's not uncommon in that day and age to use oil medicinally. I'm not sure James is talking about that. I think what he has in mind more along the lines of the Old Testament. Uh, priests and kings were often anointed with oil symbolically to say you are set apart specifically for service to God. Let's think about this. If you're flat on your back, either ill, you are physically sick, or you are just so discouraged, so worn out that you can't pray, what's going through your mind? Does God care? Does God know I exist? Does God love me? Is He there? And what that anointing with oil is saying, someone comes and says, you know what? You are still set apart by God. You are still useful. No matter how bad you feel, no matter how distant you think God is, he still cares for you. He still loves you. You are still His and useful to Him for service. No matter how sick you may be, no matter how incapacitated you may feel, God still has a plan for you. 
Now, this is not some magic formula where the elders come in dressed in funny clothes, waving incense, anointing with oils, chanting prayers. This is people coming into someone's home with words of encouragement and prayer and conversation. And notice at the end of 15, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Sometimes we are in the position we are in because of sin. And it's a great opportunity to have conversation and dialogue. Is there something that's keeping you from God? Is there something that is causing you to be sick? There is not a one-to-one correspondence with sickness and sin. But it is clear from Scripture that sometimes sin leads to sickness. And so what a, a better thing for the leadership of the church to do is to have conversation in the privacy of the home and figure out, is there something keeping you from God? Then there's a time of confession and a time of healing and a time of cleansing. So, regardless of the circumstances of our life, we look to God. And when we are so overwhelmed, either with physical sickness or spiritual apathy that we just can't pray, then we need someone to come alongside us and pray for us, to raise us up, to help us get, in a sense, back on the path. Bilbo and those dwarves didn't have anybody like that. Though on more than one occasion, Bilbo thought, I wish Gandalf were here. I wish Gandalf were here. He could get us back on the path. If we'd only sometimes take Bilbo's advice and call for those who are better equipped to help us get from where we are lost to where we are back where we should be. And then in verse 16, he says, therefore, and whenever you see a therefore, you should look and see what it's there for. I think what James is saying when he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed is don't let it get that way. Don't allow your life to get to the point where you are flat on your back spiritually and you have to call in someone else because you can't handle it on your own. You know what? There's a, there's a remedy for that. It's called fellowship. It's called having a brother or a sister who you can pray with, who you can talk to, who you can confess your sins to. And James says, ultimately, before you ever get to that point, you should look to one another. That's what the church is about. Do you have someone in your life who knows you well enough that you, when you are struggling, when sin has overwhelmed you, that you can call and say, I've got to talk. I'm getting beat up. I'm not resisting temptation. I, I'm not fleeing from temptation. Would you pray with me? Would you help me? James says you can, you can solve lots of problems if you will have someone in your life that you can confess sin to and pray to. What James is not saying, as we read in Psalm 32, is that we can't come before God anytime we want to and need to and confess sin and have forgiveness. But there are times in our lives when we need... There's the story of the little girl who comes into her mom and dad's room in the middle of the night. I'm scared, I'm scared. Well, you know you can always pray to God. Yeah, Daddy, but right now I just need someone with skin on. Right? Sometimes we need a brother or sister in our lives 
that we can touch and hold hands with and pray with and tell them what's going on in our heart. Again, this is not saying you can't at any time do that with God, but He knows our weaknesses. That's why He came in the flesh. That's why He encourages us to be a body of Christ, to be there for one another. Um, our culture, in fact, most of the last century, we have developed this individualistic idea of not only salvation, but what it means to be a Christian. I think that is so foreign to this book. I think that is, uh, the Lone Ranger Christian is unbiblical. We have to have other people in our lives, or we will end up like the person in verse 14 and 15, overwhelmed with sin or overwhelmed with sickness and nothing to do. So let me encourage you, let me challenge you, if you don't have someone in your life that you can share those details with, have someone pray for you to find someone. That starts with prayer. God, would you lead me to someone that I can be in intimate relationship with? And for those of you who are young, let me encourage you to start that now. This is not something that's written for just adults. If you wait until, well, I'll wait till I'm grown, there's a good chance that you won't be in the habit of doing that. And it's hard. It's hard to start a habit. So let me encourage those of you who are young to, to find a good friend and be willing to talk openly about your struggles and to be willing to pray for one another so that when you go off to college, that is in your mindset. Oh, I need to find someone who will care for me and love me like my friend back home did. Be wise. Have someone come alongside you. And then he gives an interesting example. Because there are some people, and I've heard him say, I'm just not spiritual enough. I couldn't, I couldn't be that kind of friend. I've got to grow some more. I've got to be at a certain place. And James says, remember Elijah? And when they hear, when that culture heard that term, by that day and age, Elijah had almost surpassed Moses and Abraham and David as kind of the, the national hero, so to speak. So much writing was done in that day and age about Elijah and what he did and what he stood for and his faith that he kind of had become the, the cult hero, so to speak. Had he been on American Idol, he would have won just by popularity, whether he could sing or not. Everybody would have voted for him. He was almost superhuman. And so James says, ah, that's a good example. In fact, the very end of the Old Testament, the last of the recorded scripture is in the book of Malachi, and Elijah's going to return and turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Elijah was going to precede the Messiah as the one who would pave the way. Oh, Elijah. Elijah prayed, and that at first may be discouraging, but notice what he says about Elijah in verse 17. He was a man with a nature like ours. A compound word, his nature, his passions, his, 
His character, his makeup was human. He didn't have anything that you don't have by God's Spirit. And James says, and he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Surely you could pray for a brother or sister in need because your nature is no different than his. This isn't some supernatural gift you have to have. It's compassion for a brother or sister. It's willingness to come alongside someone and say, how can I help? And you have what it takes as a human being endowed with God's Spirit to do that, to offer up a prayer, a shoulder to cry on, an ear to listen. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 19, he says, If any among you strays from the truth... And one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If any among you, you look up one day and you notice that the person who sat next to you in church all that time is gone and you ask some questions, you look around and it appears, it seems that he's walked away from the faith. His love has grown cold. His desire to use his gifts and his talents and his time and his resources for the church have disappeared. Uh, he's chosen to neglect his time in the Word or in prayer. Maybe he's fallen into sin. Maybe his ideas of who God is are no longer in line with what this book says. And James says, we look to those who are wandering and we go after them. If anyone wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, he saves his soul from death. Now, James is not into the, con the, the idea of once saved, always saved, or losing salvation. It's not what James is thinking about. Those terms and those ideas haven't entered his mind. He sees someone who was sitting beside him, not sitting beside him anymore in church, and he says, I've got to get that person. Remember back in, verse, in chapter 2? Faith was something that looked like something. Faith manifested itself in a behavior, in a lifestyle, and this person's not doing that anymore. So it's not a question of was he saved or was he really not ever saved. It's his soul is in danger of death and I've got to go after him. This isn't a Calvinist-Arminian debate on whether you can lose your salvation. It's that person appears lost. I need to go get him. And when I do... I save his soul from death and I cover a multitude of sins. That phrase, cover a multitude of sins, we read in Psalm 32. It, it means forgiveness, but also more than that. If you take someone who's walked away from the faith and is about to make a train wreck of their life, if we bring them back, think of all the heartache, all the destruction, all the sin that we can eliminate all the relationships that have gone bad that we can, uh, we can heal before they happen. We can cover them up. We can make it like uh, they're not going to happen because we have taken that person, we have pursued them, we have loved them, we have cared for them, kind of like God did for us in Jesus Christ. When we were completely lost, completely unable to do anything for God, He sent His Son for us. He pursued us. 
And James says, are you willing to do that for someone else, even if in their walking away, maybe, they've hurt you? You probably all know someone who got mad at some point in time for some reason and not only left, but left burning some bridges. Did we not do that to God? And did God not send His Son anyway? You know, Bilbo didn't get captured by the spiders. But he sure could have left those dwarves hanging there. They had not treated him very nicely in the past. They'd made fun of him. They'd thought that Gandalf had chosen the wrong person. They'd called him names. But in Bilbo's mind, he, he thought, and this, this is a rough paraphrase, you know, we started this journey together. We need to finish it together. And so at risk of his own life, he went after them. And he rescued them. Sorry if I gave something away. They didn't all die. The question is, will we do that for someone that we considered a brother or sister, even if they didn't treat us well? You know, this, this ending for James is really kind of a, a snapshot of what the church should look like. He begins this section, In all things, look to God in your life. Involve Him in who you are. At your very core is God involved in your life, regardless of circumstances. When life is overwhelming you, you need other people. The body of Christ is valuable and important. Whether that's leadership to come alongside you or just a friend who will pray with you. You need other people. The church is vitally important. And finally, what is, what is our purpose if it's not to go get those people who have wandered astray? That sheep who's wandered off that Jesus says, I'm willing to leave the 99 in good hands that are in, together and go get that one. Are we willing as a body and as individuals to, to do that? To model God himself who came after us. It's a perfect picture of what we should look like as individuals and as a body. And it's a marvelous way to, to end this book because we can't do those 54 commands on our own. We need God and we need each other or we will flounder. And we will not be the body of Christ. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to involve God in your life and to involve other people in your life and to seek those who are lost. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the faithfulness of our brother from a long time ago, James, who was willing to write uh, at times, harsh words to admonish us, but also to encourage us. And so, God, we ask that you would speak into our hearts, that we would be willing to open up our lives and involve you in all that we are, that we would be willing to open up our lives uh, to those sitting in this room around us uh, for encouragement, for love, for prayer. And that we would be willing to open up our lives uh, to seek those who have strayed from the truth. 
and that as you pursued us, we would pursue them. God, we praise you and we thank you that you did that for us. And so, God, we look forward to what you will do through this body, through us as individuals and as a, as a group in the days and weeks to come. And we pray these things in Christ's name.